Hello, Billy. Hi. It's working. It is working. Having a bit of a few technical problems there, but we, we solved it in the end. Yay. Yeah, so how are you this morning? Oh, I'm, I'm doing fine, thanks. Uh, ready for my first podcast also. <laughs> yeah, it's mine, it's mine too. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's really, it's really nice to get you on. My oh, first, yeah. As my well, first I, guest, I'm very honored. Thank you. I know, I know we're going to have a lot of fun. Yeah. So we may as well just get going, eh? Sure. Okay, so it's already recording. Um, so you you live in uh, St. Louis, don't you? In uh... Uh, yes, I uh, I live in uh, St. Louis, Missouri, in the USA. So I'm uh, an international podcaster right now. <laughs> <laughs> so is it true that Missouri, St. Louis, Missouri, is um, right on the border with Illinois? It is, yes. Okay, literally. so which which half are you in? Are you in the Missouri half or the Illinois half? <laughs> I'm I'm in the Missouri half. In fact, the area where I live is called St. Charles. Okay. It, it just so happens that the Missouri River and the Mississippi River uh, join very near St. Louis. And if you go from St. Louis, if you go across the Mississippi River, you're in Illinois. And in my case... Uh, if you're in St. Louis and you go across the Missouri River, which is a branch off the Mississippi, you'll be in St. Charles, where I'm located. Okay, wow. So the Mississippi goes right through St. Louis. It does. It, it goes, it's literally uh, along the east side of the state of Missouri. And, and if, you, if you've ever seen our Gateway Arch, it's a huge monument. And uh, right below it is the uh, Mississippi River. So at, at that stage of the Mississippi's life, it's probably not as huge as it could be. I mean, when it, by the time it gets down to New Orleans, it's probably a lot bigger. I well, it's a, uh, I, I could tell you, uh, I've seen where it starts. It starts at a, a, a little spring up in uh, uh, I, Lake Itasca, uh, Minnesota. And uh, that little stream is a big river by the time it gets to St. Louis. Yeah, I can imagine. So ju just so people understand where you are. So you, north of you, you've got um, Chicago. Yes, yes. And then to the, to the west, you would have Kansas City. Yes, exactly. And Indianapolis to the east. Yes. And Memphis to the south. Have I got that right? Yes, yes. You're you're. You're almost perfect on all of that. So you, you, you're pretty close to Memphis, where, you know, Elvis Presley came from. Absolutely. I'm oh, yeah, sure Elvis and I don't have much in common, but uh, <laughs> I, could, I could drive to Memphis in a few hours. So have you, have you ever been down to um, Graceland down in Memphis? Uh, yes. I've, I've been through Memphis, but I've never been uh, to Graceland. It was always one of the places I wanted to visit while, when I was living in the States, but I never, never got the chance to. Well, the, closest, the closest I ever got to St. Louis would have been Kansas City with, on a work um, yes, yes. visit. Yeah, yeah, Kansas City is about uh, four hours uh, west of St. Louis. But the, uh, Vicky, if you come back to St. Louis, you and I, I'll drive you down to Graceland. Yeah, we'll go and visit Graceland. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? 
<laughs> It'd be great fun. Be, I'm going to go and say hi to Elvis. <laughs> apparently, he's still there. He's a ghost inside the building now. Oh, apparently. how cool! I'll take. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll even stay overnight so we can see Elvis. <laughs> yeah, we'll do. We can do a selfie with him. Come. <laughs> so we we have a few things in common, Billy. We both work in the. Well, you, you're retired now, but we we both work in the aerospace industry. Ab- absolutely, yes. So how did your how did your aerospace um, career begin? Well, what what happened? I went to uh, I went to the University of Missouri at Columbia, got my bachelor of science in mechanical engineering in 1980, uh, began working at what was McDonnell Douglas in 1981, and I uh, retired from you know McDonnell Douglas became and was absorbed into Boeing, so I retired from uh, Boeing. In 2015. <laughs> so, so were you working on commercial aircraft most of the time, or, or was it? Oh no, military? no. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll give you a quick list of the aircraft. All all okay. of them were uh, pretty much fighter aircraft. I I started out on the uh, AV8B Harrier, and yeah. and worked on there for probably 20 years, and then uh, I spent a little time on the F-18 ENF. I spent quite a bit of time on the F-18 C and D. And then at the, uh, at the end of my career, I was working uh, in uh, actually on uh, guidance systems for uh, bombs. I was working on what they call the joint direct attack musician or munition, which is the JDAM, very popular uh, weapon system. So were you were you were you in design or were you a, like a systems engineer? I uh, uh, it varied a little bit over my career. Uh, when I was working on the AV8B, I was actually a uh, technical coordinator with British Aerospace at the time, and uh, so at that at that point, I was uh, you know coordinating technical information and holding meetings in the United States and in England. And then uh, as time went on, I went back to uh, structural design. You know, so I worked on the, the various structural components on all these fighter aircraft. And and when I was on the uh, the JDAM, I was also in structural design. So, you know, that you have to have, uh, you have to have structure in order to house uh, the guidance system for weapons yeah. like that. So, I mean, it's, it's very interesting that you worked on the the AV-8, which was the predecessor to the aircraft I work on today, which is the F-35. Oh, yeah, it was it was an awesome airplane. Vic. Yeah, we, uh, you know, I literally used to go out on the flight line and, uh, you know, l- investigate problems, solve problems, and uh, you know, make engineering changes so they wouldn't happen in the future. So I did that for many, many, many years. Uh, did you did you ever travel over to the um, BA Systems site at Wharton or Soundsbury in, yes. in the UK? Yes, I have. Yeah. I've been uh, uh, at at that time. The main place I would go to was uh, BAE at Kingston upon Thames. Yeah. So that was in London, but I have been to Wharton. And I think I think we also went to a site 
uh, a BAE site up in Hull, if I'm remembering correctly. So there was there yes. was one site in London, one on the uh, east side of uh, the UK, and another on the west side of the UK. I think the one in Hull is called Bruff. Oh, it is called Bruff. Yeah, yeah, yeah I knew yeah. I knew people at Bruff. You bet. They were they were great people. Very uh, very good and uh, uh, high quality engineers. So so you have two two degrees, then you have a degree in mechanical engineering and also in information systems. Yes, I, uh, oh, I went back, uh, you know, in, um, in 1997, I began my transition as a transgender person. And uh, in 2000, gosh, I guess it must have been about 2000, 2001, I went back and got an information systems degree uh, at Maryville University in uh, St. Louis. And, and I really like, I love going back to school as an older adult uh, because, well, for one reason, Boeing paid for my schooling. And, uh, but it was just fun being on campus again and being able to help people because, uh, you know, I'm, in that case, I was in undergraduate classes, but I was a, uh, you know, a multi-year experienced design engineer at that time. Yeah, so... You, know, you mentioned you mentioned that you're a transgender person, transgender woman. Yes. So you 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 must have been um, quite a late late in life oh, transition yes. person. Yeah, I uh, similar similar to myself. I mean, yes. I, you you were born in the fifties. Yes, I was born in nineteen fifty seven, and I I literally I think I was about thirty nine when I began my transition. And what happened is, uh, you know, as you get older, as a transgender person, you, you fight it all your life, and, uh, and it just makes you miserable. And then as you get older, about late 30s, I found that I was having a great deal of stress, anxiety, depression. So I went to a, uh, a gender therapist in the uh, St. Louis area. And she helped me tremendously. So, so at what age did you first realize that there was something not quite right? Oh, I, I think I was about uh, 12 years old when, when I first had my experience with cross-dressing. And in that case, it, was, uh, it started with uh, my mom's nylon stockings that had been um, hung in the bathroom to dry and uh you know uh when you experience something like that and it just feels the feeling is sort of indescribable but it just feels right and correct so i would say i was about 12 years old when i first started having an issue and I, I honestly didn't even know what kind of issue it was because I didn't have a name for it back then. I didn't have uh, any knowledge. I don't think the word transgender was even in common usage at that time. Uh, so I, I literally was lost. I just thought I was some sort of a, I don't know, a sexual deviant or pervert, you know, because I was cross-dressing to in total secrecy. And uh, I did that 
for years, you know, from uh, from the time I was 12 on and off until uh, I was about 39. And that's when I began transitioning. Yes. So so in those early days, I mean, you, you know, you were kind of confused about what was going on, I'm sure. And how did you kind of come to grips with it? As you were as you were growing up, I mean, it, it sounds like you hit it all your life, very similar to what I did. Oh, and absolutely. you know, you 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 got married, you had kids, and absolutely. and this this remained a secret throughout. Oh, absolutely! I thought, uh, I literally thought I would go to my grave without anybody knowing uh, about this uh, behavior that I didn't understand, you know. And in fact, I remember when I married Vicki, we got married in uh, 1986. I thought, oh, this is great. Now that I'm married, you know, I won't have to do, I won't have to deal with being, uh, at that time, cross-dressing anymore. And, uh, you know, that it would all be over, you know, and, and then we had children, but I was 100% wrong. Uh, it it is extremely persistent. It's the type of thing that you just can't get out of your your mind. In fact, it's probably you know you probably think about it every hour of every day. So it uh, it literally eats away at you uh, for years and years until, in my case, I was fortunate because a gender therapist helped me understand what was going on and helped guide me into a direction that uh, led for positive results in my life. I mean, if you, if we think back to the, you know, the fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, and even the nineties, there, there was very little information about this. You know, oh. I don't think it was until the nineties that the term transgender was starting to be used. I mean, yeah. I remember my, you know, when I was going through this as a kid and growing up, there was there was really no one to talk to. It was very difficult to, to find information. You might see the occasional kind of documentary on the TV, but nothing else. Really. Yeah, no, it was, uh, there was a, an absolute total lack of information. And uh, the only, literally the only words I knew to know that there was something, I, well, I thought there was something wrong with me. Turns out I was wrong, but uh, we're uh, transvestite and uh, transsexual. And uh, that's, and, and literally I had only seen the definition of those words and didn't understand anything about either of them. So it wasn't until the mid-1990s when uh, my family got their very first desktop computer that uh, <laughs> I literally got on the internet and I thought I thought I was the only person in the world that had this problem and next thing I know I find that uh, there are lots lots of other people dealing with exactly the same issue and keeping it totally secret in their lives just like I was so yeah. I was I was Fortunate in the late 1990s, I found a support group in the St. Louis area called uh, St. Louis Gender Foundation and met met some other people. So that helped me immensely. So then you, you started to get kind of proper help from medical 
professionals at that time. Exactly. I, I talked to a couple people at this uh, organization, uh, transgender organization, St. Louis Gender Foundation, and uh, I asked two people independently who would be a good uh, psychiatrist or psychologist to go see. And, and literally, they both gave me the, uh, the same, same name, same person, independently. And uh, one of these people I had asked for advice from was a medical doctor at Washington University in St. Louis. So, uh, so I literally followed their advice, went to see uh, Dr. Patricia Burney, and, uh, and my life began to improve at that point. So, so we we could say that your your kind of your official transition really began in '97 when you went to see this lady. Ab- absolutely, I uh, uh, she had recommended. I, I literally remember the first day I saw her. She recommended I that I needed to uh, slow down. Uh, uh, she told me if I need to slow down when I'm walking, slow down when I'm driving you know, to try to reduce some of the stress. And then she also recommended that I go out and buy some gender neutral clothing. So what I did is I went to, uh, you know, the local department stores and looked for uh, Mrs. Clothing that looked like men's dress shirts, uh, slacks that looked like men's pants, shoes that looked like sort of like men's loafers. So I literally started wearing women's clothing, but yet it was subtle enough that, uh, you know, not everybody would pick up on that uh, I was slowly beginning to wear women's clothing. So I, <laughs> I was very slow in my transition and that turned out to be a very good thing. So th- those initial things you were doing then, I mean, did did that help to relieve your anxiety and stress? Oh, absolutely! It uh, it had a tremendous effect on my stress, uh, just because, you know, prior to that, I would uh, uh, cross dress in total secrecy, whenever I felt there was no possibility of being discovered. And, uh, you know, when I when I began wearing women's clothing, just the thought of um, wearing that in public, going to my work as usual, uh, you know, it, it took off. It took off some of the pressure. And in fact, in fact, uh, the same people I asked for a recommendation to a psychiatrist or psychologist also recommended a, uh, a hairstylist where I could go begin to uh, transition my hairstyle from a male hairstyle to female. And I also started getting uh, manicures. So, uh, you know, literally every one of these things I did made me feel better about myself, made me feel more at ease. And, uh, and, and I never, I never would have dreamed that that would have been the case, but by actually doing it, by actually changing, I was learning that uh, I was just happier uh, in women's clothing and and 
you know, interacting with women. Yeah, so I think I think the you know the way you did it there, taking things slowly. I think that was really important because it it kind of helped you to you know de-stress. Let's say. Oh, it does. Yeah, yeah. Literally, it's like you're a pressure cooker. Yeah. And the the minute you start uh, learning about your condition and beginning to change the things you wear and change your mode of behavior and your your attitude toward life it starts relieving that pressure right away and uh literally you're experimenting socially in uh real real life real time and and you're learning what what makes you a happier person yeah, it's it's a learn it's a learning experience. So so when you when you started this in ninety seven, were you able to discuss it with your wife and children at the time? Uh, yes, yes. It turns out uh, it turns out shortly after I learned about St. Louis Gender Foundation, uh, my wife uh, determined or. Uh, actually, I got a phone call back from the president of that organization to uh, screen me. And Vicky answered the phone and she thought the person sounded like a gay man. So she said, what's going on? So I I told her everything. And shortly thereafter, I told my parents about my problems and I told my in-laws about my problems. So I didn't I didn't come out of my own free will or anything like that I was discovered and then literally had to explain it to everybody and at that time uh it was so it was so early I had just begun seeing a psychologist that uh you know you don't even know how to explain it a lot of it so you just you do your best and and how how did the family you know react to this were they all very supportive or were, were there any problems at all you know uh i don't know that i'd necessarily call it uh supportive so much as uh they uh they put up with it um literally literally i was uh making a very good salary i was a very responsible person and uh and uh, Vicky and I were uh, literally had two children at that point, so uh, the way or my my strategy or my way of approaching dealing with life was to just continue to be uh, a good spouse, a good provider, a highly responsible person, a uh, do high quality work at at my job, and. Uh, Literally, I just began changing my appearance and my mannerisms, and uh, and I really couldn't. It was it was beneficial to me, so I couldn't worry about what other people thought. I just had to uh, carry on. And it turns out, with time, as you get more comfortable and confident, people begin to understand just how serious. Uh, uh, dealing with being transgender is. And actually, I think uh, what happens is you become a better person as time goes on because you're 
uh, you're you're a lot less stressed, and people know how to interact with you better. Yeah, and you're able to be your real self, and you're not living living a double life. It is. Yeah, I I was literally literally living a double life. In fact, uh, well, I've often said, and this this is crazy because I'm I'm not I'm not a dumb person. I'm not stupid, but yet I could not figure out on my own what was wrong with me or what I needed to do to correct it. So, uh, in fact, it was only after I was well along in my transition that I realized that I had really been kind of a social outcast without really knowing it. Because if you think about it, uh, you know, you, you go with, a, you, you appear as a male, you go with a group of guys and they're talking about male things and uh, sports and things that I could care less about. And, uh, but you pretend, you pretend to be part of that group. And then in the case of women, women really don't uh, allow men to participate in their discussions amongst their friends. So what happens is you literally don't know that you don't belong in the uh, the male social society, and and the women won't let you into theirs because they think you're a male. So you're literally a social outcast for most of your life, and you don't even know it. Yeah, and you know, along going along with that too, you've got all this stress and anxiety. Oh, it's, you know, it's so tremendous. It's, it's, it's like you're trapped in a in a world you can't escape from. I mean, that's how I, oh. that's how I felt for a long time. Oh, I, I felt exactly that way. And it was only, it was only after I met some other people. In fact, what's, a, what's absolutely amazing is when you meet some other uh, transgender people, if you compare your life stories, I know they're, they're like identical yeah. stories. I mean, a lot of this, a lot of the things you're saying today, I can really identify with and, and reflected in and my I, own life, you know? I exactly, and I think I think you'll find that with most uh, most transgender people, it really is a uh, it really is a it's a horrible uh, thing to have to deal with because first of all, you don't understand what it is, you don't understand how to uh, solve the problem. And as an engineer, that's what we do is we solve problems. But I couldn't figure it out. I literally had to have uh, help from a psychologist. And it was only through actual experimentation and actual, making actual changes and actually changing my attitudes and the way I behaved that I found the real me. And I, I think the real me is a much happier a much nicer, a much more social person than my pre-transition self. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I understand everything you say there. So, I mean, since, since you started back in 97 with your transition, I mean, that was, what, about 23 years ago now? Yes. So, I mean, yes, how, how over those 23 years, I mean, how have you kind of, how have you dealt with it? How have things changed for you? Oh, oh, they've, in my mind, they've only gotten better over those 23 years. And uh, the reason I say that is, uh, you know, uh, 
let's say you look in, you know, you used to look in the mirror as a male and you didn't really care to look at yourself or didn't think you really looked good. Now I look in a mirror and I'm happy. I'm happy with what I see. And for the life of me, you know, no matter how hard uh, I think about it, I'll never understand why I'm that way, but I'm absolutely that way that I just feel so much more comfortable appearing as a woman and being a woman. In fact, I tell people that every day I try to be the best woman I can be because uh, I know that it's it's the right path for me and it brings me uh, happiness and peace of mind. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you always, you always come across as this really happy, fun person, especially when we're talking well, on tea and coffee, um, chat, social thing. I mean, you're, you're always the, the very happy person on there wanting to chat and talk about things. I mean, it does, oh, ab- it does come across. Oh, absolutely. And uh, Vicky, if you, had, if you had met me prior to transition, I would have been uh, very quiet, very shy, uh, you know, maybe, maybe somewhat angry. You know, yeah. and uh, all all that is all of that is gone now, and I literally am. I'm I'm totally happy. So you, I mean, you could say it's been a complete transformation in your outlook on life and how you how you interact with people, and it it absolutely is a a total transformation, and uh, and it's it's a uh, in my mind. You know, at one point I thought I was angry at God for creating me with this issue. But now I'm, I begin to think, and now I think that, uh, you know, uh, transgender people, they, they were created just the same as everybody else. It's a 100% natural thing. Uh, there are lots and lots and lots of people having to deal with it. And... Uh, and we're actually pretty special people because we get to see, you kind of get to see life from both a male perspective and a female perspective. Yeah, And uh, it, just, it just makes you a, uh, a more well-rounded person. Absolutely. So when, you know, back in 97, were you, were you able to access um, hormones at that time in the States? Oh, well... I, I probably could have, but I literally, uh, I literally just started, I transitioned in terms of my physical appearance. I had uh, begun getting uh, electrolysis right away. I began transitioning my hairstyle. I started transitioning my clothing and, uh, hormones at that point weren't, uh, let's say at the front of the list of things that I felt I needed to do. Yeah. And in fact, it only took me, I'll bet it took me less than two years before in public, uh, just being comfortable, being myself, being out shopping or driving or walking, uh, uh, you know, all the, the visible changes and the changes I made to my attitudes and my uh, behavior, my gestures, that that made me feel happier. So it was probably 10 years before I uh, 
Well, and once again, as time goes on, things begin to feel more urgent. And uh, so the urgency for my need for uh, hormone replacement therapy had been increasing. I was able to pass just fine as, as a woman, even without the, I'll say, the female physical characteristics. You know, I appeared female, but uh, I, I just... I had a tremendous desire to uh, go even further and 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 feel even more comfortable with myself. So probably it was about I'm going to guess about 2007 when I began taking uh, hormone replacement therapy. Uh, and we, we, you know, in in St. Louis, Missouri, was how was this um, kind of perceived by the kind of you know the the people of the town at that time. I mean, was it was it something that was accepted? Was there a lot of resistance to it? Well, <laughs> this is this may sound a little bit crazy, but uh, you know, I was. I think I had so much anger uh, in my life as a result of having to deal with this life condition that I didn't care what anyone else thought. And and I literally, I literally approached it as a, um, I mean, I literally began watching women, emulating mannerisms, emulating everything I could think of, and literally trying to make my, not only my physical appearance, but my, uh, the way I moved and the way I I did everything appear much more female than male. And now I've been doing it for so long, you know, I don't even think about it anymore. But it, it took a very conscious effort originally to, uh, you know, to slowly mold my uh, mannerisms and way of behaving. And at that point, my strategy was, and, and I think as an older and early trans, you know, a long ago transitioner, I think back in those days, the goal was always to uh, become so invisible because you appeared just like any other woman that no one would know would care or, you know, it just wouldn't matter. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit different now, you know, back then people weren't worried about pronouns and, uh, you know, I, I started going by the name Billy pretty quickly and, uh, yeah, so back then I didn't know I didn't know transgender people needed to come out. I didn't know that uh, people should refer to me with the proper pronouns. I I literally was just following my psychologist's advice, and uh, and I was happier, and uh, that's all I cared about. So I didn't care what the rest of the world thought, and I I think probably everyone knew what was going on, but we didn't talk about it. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you say you had um, two daughters with your wife. Absolutely, yeah. And you also have a son as well? Uh, well, we we have a son, but we we literally took took Patrick in. He was uh, in high school, and uh, he wasn't getting the necessary attention or help from his uh, parents. So we we helped him get into the Air Force. So he's not really our son, but but we treated him 
at, like our son and literally made it possible for him to go in the Air Force, be in the Air Force, uh, get a security clearance. As a result of that, he was able to go through college uh, on the GI Bill, and uh, now he's a, a tremendous history teacher and uh, a track and field and football coach in the Kansas City area. Wow, I mean, that, that wouldn't have been possible without your help, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, Amazing. The, the, the big deal was I uh, he had bought an SUV that had been repossessed, and he still owed like $10,000 on it. So I, I paid that off, and I literally, I literally had difficulty convincing the United States Air Force that I literally paid off a car for a person who wasn't part of my real family, but I did that in order to give him an opportunity to join the service, be in the service, learn, and, uh, you know, build his life. And he has, he's done nothing but uh, thrive ever since then. So it was wow. money well spent in my book. Well spent indeed. So, I mean, now, you know, your, your kids are all grown up by now, I would think. Do you, oh, absolutely. Do you have any grandchildren yet? Or well, not, not yet. Uh, our youngest daughter got married this year. And uh, she's currently pregnant, so we're going oh, so to be one, grand. There's one on the we're way. We're going to be grandparents, but it hasn't happened yet, you know. Well, that's going to and, be, that'll uh, be exciting. Oh, that'll be tremendously exciting! You know, one of the uh, one of the blessings that I've had is my wife stayed with me, and uh, and my children. Oh, I literally, I I literally didn't explain any any of what was going on to my children either. Which is probably not the right way to do it, but I just didn't know any better. But uh, it turns out that, uh, you know, as time has gone on, they and as uh, transgender people have become more visible and more is known about them, I'm sure they figured it out long ago. And uh, anyway, we've had a, a tremendous life. We've had, uh, you know, both my daughters are extremely smart and they're uh, intelligent and independent. And, uh, you know, I feel like our, our, our whole family is just crushing it at the game of uh, the game of life yeah. and, and, and doing well. So I've been I've been very fortunate. I mean, it, it's always kind of important to note to note that, you know, you know when kids are dealing with these things, it doesn't seem to bother them at all. They just accept, you know, what's going on. And in my own family, you know, the the the, the nieces and nephews and grand nieces and nephews, they've all been super supportive with me. I mean, they just take it in the stride. They don't care at all. You know, it's just, okay, okay, what's the tea? You know, <laughs> they don't really, Isn't it? it's, it's really, it's more, it's more the older people that seem to have a problem with our you know, yes. people going through transition, but young people, they just take it in the stride, they do. They really don't <laughs> you care. Know, I literally think they're they're smarter about yes, these things than we were when we were younger. Absolutely. You know, uh, they, they, I'll bet you most kids nowadays know someone who identifies as transgender yeah. or, I, or is gay yeah. and, uh, or, or might even want to, might be non-binary all these things are becoming a much more well-known uh, entities. So I don't think they're as shocked by any of it as, as 
as we were who grew up in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, you know, where we knew nothing about it. And uh, only now are we getting smarter. And only now is society really beginning to learn about us. Yeah. So, you know, I'm very hopeful for the future where, you know, even more acceptance can be found everywhere in society. You know, there, yeah. there are still lots of pockets of um, kind of people who resist it or don't like it. But, yes. um, yeah, generally, things are improving all the time. I, absolutely. I, uh, I'll tell you how I look at it. If you, uh, in my case, back in the, the 1970s, I didn't know anything about gay people. I, I just remembered I began seeing uh, uh, gay pride marches on TV like once a year or so in that. But but what's happened is uh, back then it was just becoming known. And now, now most people know someone who's gay and they don't really think yeah. think think much of it because they realize it's a uh, it it's just a natural condition, natural as can be. And uh, who would who would deny a person the right to uh, love the person or type of people that they have to love because that's what their physical makeup requires. Yeah, you know, I mean, so, it's, uh, it's all about just acceptance and you know just it, just getting on with it, your life. Really. It is. So, so what I look at, I look at, uh, like even my transition beginning in 1997, at the time I was a bit of a pioneer, I think, because not as many transgender people were known at that time. And the word wasn't necessarily in common usage in, in all of society. It may have been amongst people who were dealing with being transgender but I think just like uh, just like uh, the gays are now just accepted because enough time has passed and people have learned enough about them. Uh, I think the same thing is happening with transgender people. It's just that we're a little bit uh, behind on the learning curve in terms of society learning about us and learning that we really aren't scary, that we really are just normal down-to-earth people trying to get on with our lives. And actually, uh, I actually think we're better people than we would be if we tried to uh, stay in our, uh, you know, the gender that we were assigned at birth. So yeah. I, I, I think I'm a much happier and a much more fun. I'm probably even funnier yeah, than I was. I think I, uh, I think I think I can say the same for myself. <laughs> I was really, I was a very, very quiet, shy kid. I was, exactly. You know, I was never, never one to put myself forward, and since since exactly. I started my transition, that's really changed a lot. I mean, I oh. I could never imagine myself doing a podcast. You know, I mean, I would just <laughs> I would just rather be the, a quiet person saying nothing. You know. Oh, Vicky, you're doing you're doing great at your podcast, and I'm I'm really <laughs> I'm really enjoying it. You know, yeah. you know this is this is something else I think is happening. Tell me if you if you've seen this happening. Also, I'm beginning to see on social media more and more couples. Yes, I'm staying, staying together with their yeah. uh, transgender spouses, which is amazing and really good to see. It it is really good. And uh, in some cases, I mean, some of the people I know, 
similar to Vicky and I, I think what their spouse finds out is that the person that they felt in love with becomes so much happier, so much more able to interact with others. Uh, you know, it's a, uh, it's actually a blessing that they transition. Yeah, because they remove all uh, that weight off their shoulders. And, oh, you know, it kind of frees them to become a new, it, a new person. The, the prior to leaving that weight, it'll crush. You. Oh, it does. Absolutely. It will absolutely crush you. And uh, so, yeah, it's just, I think only, only now are people and society and uh, people who are married beginning to realize, hey, that person I fell in love with is actually even better. <laughs> yeah, but as, as you say, I mean, it is becoming more and more visible that people are staying together. I mean, I, I have noticed that. It's interesting that you point that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, uh, I, I think it's a trend that's starting, and, and I do my absolute best to support and encourage that uh, everywhere I can, and to, uh, you know, share my success story, because uh, I look at myself as a, uh, you know, I've, I'm, I'm one that came before, I've, I'm one that have, has been through, you know, all the various things that I needed to accomplish, and it, it worked out all right. So now now I try to be a very good role model for those who are following me. So, and I try to support the people that follow me. So you really you uh, really so, are a um a pioneer. Oh I think I think so. And what are the Not what are the elders in the group? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the St. Louis area I feel like the old grandma. <laughs> but but I mean I'm sure everybody could tell. And I'm, I'm sure my friends at Tea and Coffee can tell. Yeah. So, I'm just so happy so, to be me and so happy to be alive. And uh, and I want others to uh, have a happy life also. So yeah. I support them and try to help them get there. So tea, you mentioned Tea and Coffee. That's where we first met on Tea and Coffee. So oh, absolutely. How did you first um, get introduced to the to the group? Oh, this is uh, it's a very it's a very clear path. As you know, I uh, oh I like sports cars. Yeah. Hello, I like sports cars and I like uh, solo two racing is what we call it in the United States. Anyway, so uh, I I learned about Charlie Martin, transgender racing driver in the UK, a beautiful woman, uh, intelligent, caring, smart had some tremendous videos about her transition. And uh, I loved watching those. Anyway, I started following uh, Charlie and Charlie was already following uh, some people in the UK. And one of them was uh, Samantha Howard who created our little tea and coffee group and, and, and chairs and, uh, you know, helps, uh, make the conversation flow when we get together. So it was literally through following Charlie Martin that I learned about tea and coffee and I asked to join the group. And uh, now I'm a, a very important member. You are. You're one of the, <laughs> you're one of the, the first people to join. I think you were the first person from the States to join the group. I oh, think you can and... claim that as yours. <laughs> you know, I, it, 
no kidding. Whoever's whoever's listening to this podcast, tea and coffee. What a nice. It's amazing, isn't it? I really, I really love that. Nice group of people. Group of people nice group of people. Uh, very friendly. Uh, we all try to help one another. And uh, it really is. In fact, this is this is another thing that I find fascinating, Vicky, is literally the reason I'm part of tea and coffee is because of COVID. Yeah, I mean, it's- because uh, <laughs> tea and coffee only became a an online thing as a result of COVID. So in this case, COVID was a real blessing because I've made uh, many good friends in the UK and get to visit with them weekly and laugh and have fun with them. And, uh, and I do, I absolutely support every one of them. And uh, so in this case, COVID did something good. Yeah. I mean, uh, for society. The, I mean, if you, if we look at what's kind of happened with tea and coffee, I mean, there's been so many like spin-off things from it, you know, when it, I think it first started, I wasn't, I wasn't involved with it when it first started, but it, I think it was, what they were doing was meeting in a supermarket, Tesco's, in the, yeah, in in, um, in oh, the I did Tesco know supermarket uh-huh. cafe, where they would have meetings in there, you know, face to face. This is before uh. COVID, and then COVID came along, yeah, and they couldn't do that any longer, so it went online and became this online weekly chat thing, um, and you know, if we if we look at what's happened since then, you know. Jason has now started a, a radio show on Sunday nights. And he it's Jason and Sammy yes. who run Tea and Coffee. Yes, and that's really good. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know if you've listened to it yet. Yes, but but it's on Trans uh, Trans Radio UK, I think it's called. And that's really that's really good. I really enjoy listening to that. Yes, yes. And then we've got we've got uh, Numi, sure, Jess sure. and Numi, who are doing a a weekly uh, gaming thing on uh-huh. Twitch. So we, I mean, that's that's another really good thing that's been yes, a spin-off. I've, I've intended some tea and of those. I, and then I've started doing this, which is also a spin-off, I guess, from that as well. You know, so it's like all these little things. Wow, it, it yeah, is. All these I little things that, that, that way, but it have is. happened because of tea and coffee. <laughs> you know, it's it's amazing, really, how it's... You know, Yeah. it, it really is, isn't it? Uh, and and it's, all, it's all really wonderful. It's... Uh, Literally, literally, we're getting to meet good people. And, uh, you know, the things like even what you're doing with your podcast, Vicki, it could, uh, you know, in 10 years time, maybe being transgender isn't going to be uh, a scary thing for people who aren't. And, uh, yeah. you know, it'll just be accepted. So I think I think it's just a matter of time. We're just on the... Uh, early on the learning curve for people to educate themselves and actually meet a number of transgender people and find out that no, they aren't sexual deviants or they aren't just normal everyday other people. than just people. They are normal everyday people wanting to yeah. live a happy life. And you get you just can't do it if you don't feel right yeah, absolutely. in your gender. Absolutely. So people are, so the, so people are learning. Thing that uh, we need to talk about here. <laughs> and this is your, your car collection. So how many, how many cars do you have in oh, your collection? Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes. Oh, 
<laughs> oh, actually, the, I, I've got okay. four that I call my collector cars. And uh, I'll, I'll just explain what they are very quickly. Uh, one of them is a 1967 MGB GT. And, uh, you know, the, uh, I, I got the 67 model because it was literally the model with the least amount of emissions add-ons and the least amount of safety incorporations into the into the cockpit let's say so it was uh, a pure it was a much purer mg so that's why i went with the ear, one of the early models of the 1967 uh, mgb gt i've also got a uh uh it was built in 2005 but it's a 2005 westfield 11 and it's a replica of a uh, 1957 Lotus 11 racing car. And the, the car I have in my garage was actually built specifically as the demonstrator car uh, for sales in the United States. So it was built with a, uh, a hopped up engine and all the nice goodies on it. So, uh, so it's it's literally a 1950s racing car that I can drive on the road, which is fun because people have no clue what it is, and they'll they'll come up to pass you and they'll just <laughs> hover around you and take pictures. <laughs> and then, uh, oh, I've also got a uh, a 1973 Lotus Europa Special. Now, now that car is currently in bits, but that's one. Uh, of all the cars that we've done solo two racing in, that's that's definitely my fastest car. It's a, uh, you know, it's a uh, forty-two inches high. It's uh, uh, has a uh, mid-engine, a Lotus twin cam, big valve engine, and uh, that car, you could literally plant your foot on the floor in second gear and drive it around corners in a uh, in an autocross course. So it handles tremendously <laughs> i just need to put it back together <laughs> and then the last car my last collector car and this one i bought i call this our our current family race car because you know my wife vicky raced with me my yeah. daughter cindy raced with me in uh scca solo two racing anyway this uh the miata is a 1999 uh miata uh 10th anniversary edition so it's a a very special version of the miata it's uh was the first of the new body style cars that they built in 1999 and it had a bunch of uh add-ons that were good performance add-ons it was lightweight had a six speed i think it was the first of the miatas to have a six speed manual gearbox and uh, it has Limited slip differential, so it it's literally one of the most desirable cars to have for solo two racing. So well, that's quite so a that's the last. I mean, do you, do you actually cars. race any of these now? Or? It is. Oh, we, yes, I would. I, yes, I would. In fact, uh, I was going to race this whole season with uh, 
I was going to, my hairdresser was going to start uh, racing right. with us That's until COVID hit. for the future. But uh, yeah, I'll, I would, I would, I would, yeah, I would, I would go out and race yeah. that, my Miata yeah. in a heartbeat. In fact, I drive it around on the street with street legal racing tires. But I do want, uh, there's some things I want to do to it still that I've done to other cars in the past. I want to install um, Kony shock absorbers. I want to install a uh, 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 a properly uh, race car specified roll bar. And I'd like to replace the uh, convertible top on it. And I just haven't done that yet, but I'm thinking I'll do that prior to the next racing season and uh yeah i would i would race yeah. that in a heartbeat. i mean so, so where, do you, where do you keep all these cars <laughs> you keep all these in, in your garage from... <laughs> well if if you can imagine imagine living in a house that was built in the united in, in the united states in 1972 when uh when they had large cars yeah, you like the Ford LTD and the Ford Lincoln Continental. So back then, they built the garage for yeah those largest cars of that era. Well, it just it just so happens my two car garage I can fit four sports cars yeah. in it. Uh, you know, end to tail on two and you, sides. And you're of the in the garage. process of moving to so, a, a new uh, house with more so garage. I've been <laughs> which has a bigger garage. I am. We just bought a new house and. Uh, and one of the one of the requirements for that garage was to fit a minimum of four cars. Uh, my wife Vicky wants to park her car in a garage someday <laughs> during her life, and I'm going to try to make that happen at this new house. But uh, I've got my priorities. Well, if, you kept, if you kept both houses, you'd cars. have two triple garages. I mean, imagine, <laughs> I mean, you could have four cars in each. Right? <laughs> no, no, no. No, I need to. I need to sell our to help house pay for more cars. Pay yeah. for the new house, you know. So. <laughs> oh <laughs> no, I think uh, I think I've maxed out my car yeah. collection to tell you the truth. But uh, but boy, I've been I've been we've enjoyed it, and and Vicky knows I'm car crazy. Actually, this is something that's interesting too. Uh, you know, after I spent so long uh, fighting fighting the persistence of being transgender and i eventually just accepted it and began transitioning this is something else i've determined is that uh i said to myself no if i'm going to be a transgender person i'm not going to question whether i like racing cars and like collecting sports cars because i just inherently yeah. know that I do. And uh, so even though those might be considered more uh, male activities, I just don't care. I'm not going to put another uh, limit on myself. In that case, I know I like them. I know I enjoy working on them and I enjoy driving them. So uh, I just decided. Yeah, I mean, hey, exactly. I'm I not mean, going to question you know, my... You, 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 like, you like cars your yeah. whole life, so you know why change why change anything yeah i think it's really it's really and, important and that exactly. people you know if, if they go through transition they should keep their hobbies keep doing the things they enjoy doing you know don't don't change anything Just, that's exactly you know. right that's exactly right and that 
and that's and that's the point I was trying to make is that uh, you know uh, you don't have to change everything okay. just because you change your gender. You can maintain yeah, your very your likes and your hobbies. So excellent. So that's that's what I'm doing, and uh, and that's and that's the message I pass on to my friends and yeah, and really on that's, social uh, media. Excellent. So. It is. It's, it's, an important, important it's, it's an important message. It, I mean, it's one of the <laughs> most important messages because a lot, a lot of people think, oh, I have to give up this, I have to give up that. It but is. No, you, don't. you know, you can keep doing everything you were doing before. It's no, it's not, oh, it's no. No, no. It's, it's, the, it's the gender that's the issue. It's not, not the things I yeah. enjoy doing. It's just, uh, it's the way I appear. It's the way I uh, uh comport myself you know yeah, that's so there's no the there are no is. gender rules so, uh yeah i i'm not going to question i'm not going to question those yeah, things exactly. i know there I are no gender rules so we do what we wish to do nope no gender rules on that <laughs> i've yes. only got the one issue exactly. and i've taken care of that so exactly. i'm not going to question anything else so we're, we're coming up to <laughs> an hour now Billy. so i know you've got a really busy day ahead of you you're still packing and trying to move to your new place oh yeah we're we're literally moving i put up i did put you? up a oh, christmas great. tree at the new house last night so uh, yeah i did yeah well it's not i'm it's hoping not to see some photographs yet, on um, facebook <laughs> oh you you absolutely will i'll uh, i'll yeah. spread them across social media uh it's just uh I got to get it decorated first, and that's yeah, today. Yeah, and there's not much time job. left. There's only a week left. <laughs> oh no, I know. Yeah, this has been. Yeah, that you know, wasn't that wasn't the smartest move, was it? Really? That wasn't my brightest think about move. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it was great. You. We had a really good chat. So thank you so much for coming on and telling us all oh, about your yeah. life and your transition yeah, I, and your family that. and everything. Really interesting and i hope people who listen to this you know can can really understand you know what it's like to be transgender and how you know normal it is i mean that's the the whole point of the podcast really it yeah it it really is uh we're uh you know if you if you really get to know us we're just down to earth people yeah what i normally say is a happy life and, uh, yeah, what I normally say is, you know, it's, uh, it. it's the same old person <laughs> and it's the same bad jokes. So, you know. <laughs> exactly right. Well, well, You're thanks, very welcome. And so it was great to chat on, with you. Ricky. I will get this um, uploaded onto the podcast uh, this afternoon. And yeah, it should be ready, ready to go. So I have one final question for you. Now, at, at the very end of the podcast... There's an opportunity sure. for you to choose between the following three things. This is like a little a little jingle at the end. You can oh, have okay. you can have a goat, a cow, okay. or a womp, and the choice is yours. <laughs> well, I mean these are Indeed. extremely serious uh, considerations. The goat. Okay, you got think it. I'm going to go goat with the goat. <laughs> <laughs> fabulous thank, fabulous to talk to you thank and you see you soon okay bye-bye right right bye-bye